Grab your mason jars, strap on that apron. It's time for Canning with the Diva. Making her mark across the globe. Teaching you how to safely preserve delicious recipes. Please welcome your host, Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva. Well, hello everyone, it's Diane Deborah, the Canning Diva. So happy to be here with you again today talking about, of course, all things canning and food preservation, some gardening tips, all kinds of fun stuff. Today's episode, I am super excited to bring to you some of the items and tools that I utilize that I considered are, I consider them very tried and true so that you too can be safe and efficient giving you way to put up as much as possible so that you have um, much more time to enjoy doing other things such as you know working or time with family or hobbies. So today's uh, segment Canning Essentials Checklist is just that. I'm going to give you some of the tips and tools that I utilize regularly, darn near every time I can. Um, and actually, um, most of these are things that just, they're my go-to. Um, I couldn't probably start a batch of something without having each one of these items in my possession or on the countertop or on the ready so that I can um, work as fast as I can, yet as efficiently as I can. Because again, you know, we're working around food and we have to be safe and we have to be smart but we also don't want to take something that could actually be, you know, a two and a half hour process and turn it in into an eight hour day. So some of these essentials will help speed the process up, making things run a lot more uh, fluidly. And then also some of these items that I consider essentials will help keep you safe during the canning process. So let's get started. Okay, first and foremost, I always gravitate, uh, when I talk to individuals about this very topic, I gravitate to my utensil kit. Now, there's a lot of fun tools in the one that I sell on my website at canningdiva.com, um, but there are maybe, I would say, of the six pieces, there are three that I consider absolutely essential. The other three are just really awesome to have on hand, but the three that I, I really consider the most essential would be the funnel. Obviously the funnel um, is going to help us make sure we are lessening the amount of food winding up on the rim of that jar. Um, it also ensures that it's not winding up all over the countertop because sometimes it could just be a half a ladle full of whatever it is we're making that helps us yield that last final jar. And for those of you still um, new to canning, or even those of you that have been canning for a long time, we all know that we have to fill that jar to the proper headspace in order to get it to seal properly. So the last thing we want to do is make a huge mess and spill everything all over the place so that we now wind up with less in the jar. And then, if, uh, and then of course, if we can't fill it to that headspace requirement, we can process it, but we probably have to eat it right away um, or within that seven day time period because we've allowed way too much air now to be in that jar, which could actually be to the food's detriment. So a funnel is a, is a handy essential, making the uh, process a lot more efficient and um, helping us save a lot of that food that we just spent all that time prepping and cooking, right? Another one of those that are in the canning utensil kit that is an absolute essential, 
uh, segues right from what we were just talking about. We're talking about headspace. Well, we, we won't know the headspace without a headspace measuring tool. So frankly, it's like a $2 investment and it is probably the most sound investment you could ever make into your canning uh, arsenal, as, as I like to call it. Because without properly measuring the headspace, you actually could do yourself a disadvantage by causing your lids not to seal. Now, headspace is humongous because it's that air space left in the top of the jar. And believe it or not, it's, it, there is a method to the madness. It is not just asked upon you to leave that headspace because it's cute or it's easier or it helps extend, you know, making you fill more jars. The reason we have to watch that headspace is all foods upon being heated need room to swell and to move and to expand. And if we don't give them the proper amount of space to do those things, especially if you're pressure canning, unfortunately what happens is you wind up getting a lot of food and liquid loss. Um, so now you're, you've, let's say for instance, you didn't follow headspace, you pop something in the, in the uh, pressure canner, you let it run its course at however many pounds of pressure it requires, and it comes out of the pressure canner and you look at it and now there's like two and a half to three inches of food or liquid gone from the jar. Yet, you know, you're looking, you're looking around at some of the other ones and you're thinking, oh my gosh, they've all done this. What did I do wrong? Uh, the reason is, is twofold. The headspace was not properly measured. So as the food expanded, it started to just, you know, bubble up over the top of that rim. Literally now the vacuum has, is sucking and pulling more and more of that out. Then when things start to cool, the vacuum will pull it downward. This is the second piece of properly measuring headspace. You're not only dealing with liquid loss, you're now dealing with all of that food and liquid coming in contact with the surface of that jar rim. And for many of you that are familiar with canning and have listened and followed me on my shows or have taken some of my classes or have even made some of my recipes, we all know that wiping that rim properly is like our last line of defense to make sure that you know we keep it clean, that lid's gonna seal well. When we don't properly measure headspace, we leave that rim now open fair game. So when all of that food is bubbling out because we didn't measure that headspace properly, all of that food particle is now sitting on the top of that jar rim that we just cleaned before processing. So we've kind of defeated our purpose. And with that food being left as that residue, you know, starts to dry on top of that jar rim, we now run that risk of the lid not sealing. So, you know, in order to properly um, have your foods preserved for long term on the shelf and to ensure that our lids seal, we don't wind up with liquid loss. We have to measure headspace. And for those of you that don't have a headspace measure tool on hand, um, I would suggest either purchasing one or dedicating a plastic ruler to nothing but home canning and preserving. You can still achieve that same goal without the headspace measure tool by using a plastic ruler. You simply take the one inch marker or the half inch marker, whatever it is the recipe requires with respect to headspace. You place the ruler inside the jar and you leave that, for instance, one inch at the rim, okay? Now all of your food must touch the bottom of that ruler, not submerge the ruler, but touch the bottom of it in order to properly measure the headspace. Now, 
Using a ruler, it's not exact. That's why I do recommend making the $2 investment into a headspace measuring tool because um, somebody's already went through the process for you creating this really cool step ladder with these etched marks on it and it gives you one inch all the way down to a quarter of an inch. All right, so last but not least in that kit, what I find to be an essential is the lid grabber, that magnetic tool that allows you to grab a lid and a ring from that hot boiling water because those items have to be sterilized. And oh my goodness, can I tell you, as a child, we did not have that. And so we were in this constant fight using metal tongs to get these darn hot boiling lids to separate so that we could put them on the jars. It was like a fight to the death because number one, you you, you go for one and you wind up grabbing like four. Um, and number two, there is hot boiling water stuck in between those lids. So separating them became a real, you know, fun little quick working hot potato task because you didn't want to get burnt. So I love, love, love the lid grabber that magnetic tool it is an essential it makes things far more efficient you're safer this way and um now you can you can just move a right like i make like an assembly line almost in my kitchen so you kind of just move right along after all of those rims are wiped with a warm washcloth and vinegar oh my goodness you're good to go you just plunk them right on there go back through with the rings bing bang boom hand tighten and now they're off to processing so Three huge essential tools that are all very, very inexpensive, um, but very, very worth uh, worth the while. And I, like I said, they're an essential. Okay. Now, the other um, item that I would consider in my arsenal to be a canning essential, and I must have, it's part of my checklist, are my stainless steel stock pots. You'll often see in, well, pretty much every recipe that I tell you to grab a certain size stock pot in order to heat your ingredients or mix your ingredients, what have you. And the reason why stainless steel is so uh, essential to safe canning practices as well as culinary, just being in the kitchen, it's because they are easy to clean. They don't um, you know, stay dirty, allowing bacteria to grow. They're non-porous. They're probably the most highly polished metal uh, that you could utilize and, and stay clean in the kitchen. That's why a lot of your commercial kitchens and restaurants spend the big bucks to bring in nothing but stainless steel surfaces. So you're getting that same benefit by using a stainless steel stock pot in order to, you know, create the recipes. You're also um, at an added benefit in using the stainless steel because it, there's no reaction. And the reason I, I bring this up is certain brine ratios and different, different vegetables like cabbages cannot be around aluminum. They start interacting with the metal, causing a chemical reaction that could actually be harmful to us. So sticking with stainless steel to, is definitely an essential uh, in the kitchen as well as canning and preserving. And there's just so many uh, wonderful benefits to buying those nested stock pots. You know, they get upwards of, you know, 21 or 32 quarts, and then they kind of nest down in size. So you can have a variety of, of you know, recipes going on all at once and uh, maximizing, of course, your time in the kitchen when you're preserving. Now, with stainless steel stock pots, however, it depends on the levels of metal. You want a higher quality and a higher gauge stainless steel. Um, they're easier to clean and usually they're a bit thicker on the bottom. 
making it easier to maintain a leveled heat source so that you aren't scorching your, your, your items in that stock pot. Now, I have both, and um, I do gravitate to my thinner stainless steel bottomed stock pots simply because they are um, easier for me to carry, especially if I'm teaching classes, and I can nest them all inside of each other, and it just makes it for an easier experience as a teacher for myself if I'm going from different culinary school to different you know teaching location or demonstration. At some of the culinary schools I teach, they have the very nice thick walled and thick bottom stainless steel stock pots. So I will often use theirs as well. And frankly, they're they're all they're all wonderful to utilize. What I do like about the thicker bottomed is again, on a gas stove, things are gonna get quite hot and you can maintain that temperature a little easier um, and with less worry when the bottom's a bit thicker. But there's no right or wrong. It's based on what you can afford, what you have in your kitchen now, and of course, you know, what, what's going to be easiest for you to maneuver around. You start filling some of those heavier walled stock pots with, you know, a quadruple batch of pie filling, and you darn near have to be Hercules to pick that thing up and move it from one burner or from the kitchen countertop to another surface. So um, there are benefits and, and uh, to both as well as some cons. So you pick what's right for you, but just make sure that in your checklist, you are making sure that you have stainless steel as the metal of choice. Right now, in the second part of the segment, I want to focus on the level of personal protection as well as protecting our jars and our food sources to make sure that we are yielding as much as possible with the least amount of damage to ourselves and damage to our jars, which result in loss of all of our hard work. And that's the last thing we want to see in, in home canning and preserving, especially for those of you who are, who are exemplifying my from the garden to the jar lifestyle. For those of you that do the same, um, you've not only grown that food item from a seed to a plant and now you've prepped, you know, to a, a vegetable or a fruit, and, and then you're prepping it and you're putting it into a recipe, the last thing you want to have happen after all that, that months of cultivating that food source is to have it be lost during the processing because you didn't have an essential on hand. And this essential that I'm referring to right now is the canning rack. Now, whether you're water bathing or whether you're pressure canning, both units have a racking system that must be utilized and is it's quintessential in order to keep those jars safe. And it's kind of a twofold thing. So now let's talk about water bathing for a second. Water bathing racks um, are just just that. They're just chrome. They're circular in the base. They usually will have a handle on the top. And then there's a little notch on that handle so that if you wanted to cool your jars before removing them, you can lift your jars up out of that boiling water and, and set that rack hinge on the side of the canner and uh, allow your jars to cool for a few minutes before you have to move them to a location that's draft-free and allows them to cool for about 12 to 24 hours. Now, the reason that rack is in there isn't for that cool, nifty lifting, uh, you know, attribute. The reason it's in there is because it's getting those jars off of the heat source just enough to avoid them from cracking because we are dealing with glass. Now, even though our glass mason jars have been tempered, they, they, you know, they're meant to withstand 
you know, high temperatures, whether that be cold or hot. And, you know, they're pretty durable for those of you that may have traveled with them or clinked them on accident. I don't know about you, but when I send my teenager downstairs to grab a, a couple jars for dinner, I'm sure there's some clinking going on. So you know that they're sturdy. You know that they're built well. But again, we're dealing with high temperatures. And the last thing you want to do is put that glass jar with all of that food onto the direct heat source, it will crack. And if it doesn't crack during processing, it very well could stress fracture and crack and break down the road. So the rack is gonna get the jars off of the heat source by about just a quarter of an inch, okay? And the other benefit is the racking system allows you to place upwards of seven large quarts into that rack. They are gonna touch, but they won't rattle. It prevents them from rattling or depending on the rack size you, you um, have, you can use the handles for your smaller jars, which prevent them from clinking because they're used as like a brace for your half pints and your pints so that you can set them accordingly along that circular uh, rack system. And then uh, let's say you're only processing five because you chose to do a single batch. And whether it's five pints or five half pints, there's a lot of open space in there. And so the rack is essential because those handles now become the brace and you can safely process something. The reason it's so important, in addition to keeping it off the heat source, is because we know that in order to safely preserve our food in a water bather, it has to be at a full rolling boil, which means items are at, two, the water's at 212 degrees, which means our food items are at 212 degrees. Well, with that full rolling boil means there's movement and that's natural that's going to happen. And so that rack prevents from things jostling around because it is at a full rolling boil. And some recipes may only require 10 minutes of processing time. Others might require 45 or 50 minutes in that water bather. So, you know, you've got a long uh, stretch to go to keep those jars safe until the processing time is done and we can shut that burner off. So a rack is essential. Now, a rack is also essential when it comes to pressure canning. The pressure canning rack is entirely different, however, because our pressure canner is entirely different. Most of your water bathers have a ridged bottom, whereas a pressure canner has a flat, smooth bottom. And so now the rack has to mirror and mimic that very shape. So the racks have um, small holes throughout to allow the steam to flow because we're not relying on the water temperature anymore in a pressure canner. We are relying on the air temperature, which is created through pressure, and that's how we can get upwards of 240 plus degrees. But now, just like the water bather, we cannot put these jars directly on the bottom of that pressure canner because it's coming in contact with that heat source. So the flat rack, which is made of a similar compound to that as the pressure canner, probably just aluminum, uh, it gets the jars off of the heat source, again, by about a, an eighth of an inch, and it, it's flat. So now, this is really cool. You can stack as many jars as will allow on that bottom, and they can all touch because they're not going to rock. There's no uh, boiling water, um, you know, rocking all over the place. It's going to stay nice and flat. So let's say, for instance, it might be seven quarts or it might be nine pints. In my 23-quart Presto pressure canner, I am able to yield upwards of 18 pints because this essential tool, having that rack, is, is, is a benefit because not only am I keeping everything stable on the bottom, 
I've now placed another rack on top of those jars. And now I've placed nine more pints right on top of that rack. So this essential tool allows me to double stack my jars so that I can get double the yield and I don't have to have two and three pressure canners going. I can actually uh, have one pressure canner going of one double batch of something or triple, depending on what it is, and that one's off and running. Then I can even create a second recipe, or if I'm being very adventurous, for instance, when I do my, my mixed bean medley, oh my goodness, uh, there, I kind of laughed at myself in the winter when I went a little crazy and decided to do a, a quadruple batch and I had beans all over the countertop, all over the place because um, I was trying to soak them to soften them and I thought I don't want to do this again I just want to quick get it all over with and um, I kind of misjudged <laughs> how much time it was going to take to get everything done so the benefit I had is I canned everything in pints and I was able to double stack three of my pressure canners allowing me now to yield far more than I would have been able to do had I tried to can everything in quarts it would have taken me three days, you know what I'm saying? So that rack is essential. What I suggest people do is if they're out purchasing a pressure canner, no matter whose brand, make sure you invest in a second rack because typically the pressure canner only comes with one rack. So make sure you invest in a second rack and, and make sure that you're buying a tall enough pressure canner so that you too can double your yield making you uh, far more efficient in the kitchen and far more safe because now your jars aren't going to fall over, they're not going to break, and they're off the heat source. All right, now as far as personal protection goes, we are working around a lot of high temperatures. At minimum, things are at a boiling temperature. At maximum, things are far over 240 degrees when they've been pressure canning for quite some time. Take, for instance, you know, canned chicken. I love love, love, love getting whole chicken breasts or legs or thighs, whatever part of the chicken I can. I love getting it on sale uh, from a local farmer or from my local grocer and now putting it up into jars so that I can have as much canned chicken on the shelves as possible so I can make quick, easy, healthy meals. Well, I know that those jars have to process for 90 minutes, especially if they're in quarts, at 10 pounds of pressure. So we're talking a high temperature for a very long period of time, okay? The last thing I wanna do is gravitate to a dishcloth or gravitate to a actual you know, baker's mitt that is nothing but fabric. Because here's the other thing, not only do we work around high heat, we work around things that have a lot of liquid to that. And we all know that water, liquid, is a conductor. So the moment a dish towel gets wet, how many of you have, you know, I, I've done it before myself, I've reached for the dish towel to grab a cookie sheet of cookies out of the oven, and because it was just damp enough, I ended up burning my thumb and my forefinger because I, I just did it without thinking. Like, grab the dish towel, grab the cookie sheet, you know, kind of cussed under my breath, not gonna lie. <laughs> And then when, why did I do that? I have heat proof, waterproof gloves, you know. So I had to start breaking the habit of grabbing whatever was closer and utilizing a canning essential to, you know, hey, keep me safe and 
break those bad habits of just grabbing whatever was handy to touch things that were hot. And one of the tools that I have on hand, no matter if I'm demonstrating, teaching, or in my own kitchen, are my heat-proof, waterproof mitts. I call them the canning mitts on my website, uh, canningdiva.com. And I use these in far more ways than just canning, but they are perfect for canning. And they actually took me, took me about nine months to find them. And I went through a lot of different mitts before I could actually say, this is the one that I not only want to use in my kitchen, but I want to help other people, you know, purchase these as well, because they were very, very difficult to find. Um, some of you have done um, a phenomenal job at finding ways to still have a heat-proof, waterproof mitt, such as those um, rotisserie gloves. Now, I'll be honest with you, before I found these uh, canning mitts, that's exactly what I did. I bought a rotisserie grill, um, oh my goodness, years ago. I want to say it was about 12 years ago. And with it came this really cool, like, um, they were waterproof gloves. They were kind of like a nitro glove. They weren't silicone, but they were obviously food grade because it came with the rotisserie. And the goal with these mitts were, uh, they were fingered gloves. Uh, you, you basically slip your rotisserie chicken right off because you can touch that hot meat or that hot food and just grab it quick, get it off the skewers, and then put it to a place so it can rest and get ready, you know, get ready to serve your meal. Well, I started using those in my canning and preservation processes because they were keeping my hands safe. And even though I felt a little warm, I wasn't getting hurt, you know, I wasn't getting burnt. And I could actually go right over to the sink and I could wash them off. The only thing that I was starting to struggle with is if I ever needed to grab a jar to stand it up, for instance, those of you that, um, let's say you've already got the hot water going to kind of bring it up to temperature in a water bather, and you're set, you're using your, you know, your jar uh, grabber, and you're putting your, your jars in that water bather, and then the rack uh, system, the, the handle kind of falls over, and the jar falls over. So now, you're struggling with that jar grabber to stand that jar back up. Well, what I was doing is I was trying to utilize that mitt, or that, at that time, it was that glove, to stand it back up, and I could only keep my hands in there for a couple seconds before that boiling water temperature actually started to, it started to hurt. So I was so happy when I found these silicone canning mitts because they are um, not only waterproof, but they're heat proof up to 480 degrees. So the applications are, well, pretty much endless. You can bake with it, cook with it, home can with it, and now you're safe. And the reason is because it's kind of like a two-piece mitt the exterior is silicone, food grade, you're totally safe to use it, has a really nice grip to it, and then the inside is actually your fabric terry cloth, um, you know, that, that's what your hand comes in contact with. And so you can pop the interior into the washing machine and the exterior mitt into the dishwasher and everything is clean. So it's pretty cool. It goes up, up to your forearms, so it keeps you safe. And I can't tell you now how many times I use this as an essential utensil. Instead of grabbing my jar grabber, but that's funny, grabbing the jar grabber. Instead of using the jar grabber to get the jars in and out of the water bather or the pressure canner, I just, I just now slip on two canning mitts and I can grab them and touch them repeatedly. I can put my hand in that boiling water without it even remotely affecting 
the temperature of my of of the interior of that that mitt it doesn't even burn doesn't even hardly get hot so it's pretty cool now that i've made this an essential because the uses are endless it allows me to work much quicker and i don't know about you but i never fully felt safe picking up a full quart of hot say for instance spaghetti sauce and pinching it into that jar grabber there was always a part of me that was a little nervous, like, okay, hold still, stay focused, clamp that closed, and don't let go until you get over to the countertop. It was like a mental reboot communication for every stinking jar because, you know, I just never fully trusted that jar grabber. Well, now I'm able to actually hold on to something with my hand. It has a lot of excellent grip. I can stick my hand in that hot water that I couldn't do if I just had the jar grabber itself. And so I'm able to be a little bit more efficient, a lot less worry, and now I'm far more safe. Well, I hope I've given you quite a bit to think about. I hope I've, I've given you some things that you can actually add to your checklist. For those of you that don't have some of these items, feel free to find what might be available in your local area. You're also welcome to shop online. I have an online store at canningdiva.com. Otherwise, there's a lot of excellent um, Amazon spots. Uh, there's also your hardware stores have a lot of canning supplies and essentials. So start taking a look and add to your canning arsenal because I guarantee if you do so, your successes will increase batch over batch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, I look forward to talking to you a bit more about some of the canning questions and comments that I've been receiving. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to pull together some of the listeners and the emails and the Facebook messages and just have a fun segment answering these questions because I was always taught to raise your hand in class and ask the question because you may find that someone else had that very same question but was too afraid to ask. So I'm going to make it a point to answer some of these fun questions I've been getting throughout uh, this last year and make it a fun segment, uh, you know, giving you some more tidbits to make you that much more safe and fun in the kitchen. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, from the garden to the jar. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Canning with the Diva. For tips, recipes, and techniques, please visit us online at canningdiva.com.